What's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. If the season ended today, Sheffield Wednesday would be headed to the League Championship playoffs. It does not. We still have a lot more episodes of Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American Accent, to do before that potentiality occurs. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. Uh, we're recording a little bit later than we normally do, so I've fixed myself a bit of a nightcap. It's a uh, precision timepiece, which is a Negroni riff using Jägermeister Aperol Amaro Montenegro and Jerry Thomas decanter bitters. It's quite nice. Uh, it's going to be a low-key show. There's only three of us this week. Also on the line is James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Good evening, Jeff. Uh, I, f- I feel like I'm sat in your front room with uh, with you uh, talking about a drink of, uh, of such um, fine quality as you just did. Um, I'm still in my closet, though, so I'm not in your front room, and I'm drinking a Fifth Hammer Solar Lima which is uh, a uh, New England IPA. Um, it's got a picture of a, a, a lemur sort of worshipping a sun with a hammer in the middle of it. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to try and draw any analogies from that. It's it's making me feel relaxed as well. Uh, and at 7.5% ABV, that's probably why. And making his triumphant return to the podcast, Paul Owen. Paul, what are you drinking? All right, chaps. Good to be back. Um, <clears throat> what have I got here? I've got... Um... This is actually a gift. It's a housewarming gift from from our own Luke uh, from the AGM when everyone popped around mine. He brought me a bottle of Leopold Brothers, which is a, a small batch whiskey, American whiskey. It's got a, a nice handwritten number on here, barrel number 870. It's um, it's actually pot distilled and uh, fermented sour mash. It's an incredible drop. And I thought on my, my return, I should probably honour honor the podcast with a drop of that so uh yeah good to be back i kind of feel a little bit like um i think somebody once likened me to the kieran lee of the podcast and i kind of understand that now because i've been out for like nearly six months i have made my return so hopefully much like kieran lee is going to make his return soon i will uh i will i will remain back so good does that mean back. you're you're going to be on for the next 17 minutes before having right. to uh to uh, be subbed and we'll have to get paddy out of retirement yeah my hips my hips aching already so let's get on with it <laughs> It might only be a 17-minute podcast because we have just one game to discuss and then the international break coming up. But a good game it is, a solid road win at Bristol that moved Wednesday into sixth place. Is that right? Yeah, sixth place. Part of the reason for that was a brace from Lucas Jow. So we'll talk a little bit about what we are making of Lucas Jow so far this season. But it's never easy, is it? Wednesday did have to survive a bit of a scare at the end because they only win 2-1. We'll move on to Wednesday news as well later in the show, including a fit Sam Winnell, some international break nonsense, uh, and much like we forgot Paul Owen after our first season of episodes, we also forgot to do Dispatches from American Soccer this year, and we will bring it back with a bang. But we will start with the Bristol City game on the road, a bit of a bogey park for Wednesday in recent years, and James, we come out with a much more defensive-minded formation. Yeah, I, I, I guess kind of um, 
the absolutely dreadful commentators on iFollow, who uh, I think I've mentally managed to erase their names from my uh, my brain just because their uh, lyrical description. How could you of the forget Sheffield Wednesday legend Andy Blair? <sighs> yeah, I, I I I was trying to because the way he speaks doesn't make me think Sheffield Wednesday legend. It makes me feel that hurts my ears. Please stop talking. Um, they uh, they came up with a theory in the first sort of five ten minutes that Wednesday were emotionally scarred from their four nil defeat uh, in uh, in Bristol earlier in the year, and so we deliberately set up in a defensive formation. I think to be honest, that's just the way that Jos tends to to play when he's um, he's not quite sure how an opposition is going to set up. So we set up in the three five two. Um, obviously, you know, sacrifice some of our more flair players to uh, to retain. Uh, Jordan Thornley, as well as the the back three of uh, of Hector Padil and uh, Tom Lees, um, and and yeah, very much kind of set up to contain Bristol City and and sort of see see what they had. Uh, it turned out they had quite a bit, and we did our usual job of not so much containing as giving them a whole series of chances. But um, the formation itself was reasonably defensive. It wouldn't be a Wednesday game without a goal mouse scramble in the first fifteen minutes, where you're left shaking your head on how the opposition didn't score. No, and we had at least three of those, right? Um, I mean, uh, there was uh, there was one notable uh, point where um, Cameron Dawson, who I've come to the conclusion that you know somewhere in Cameron Dawson's goalkeeping education, he proved himself to be a very very good puncher of the ball. So clearly, he's been encouraged to do that punch, and for whatever reason, now uses it for pretty much every single uh, opportunity to uh, to clear his line. So he comes out and. Uh, not so much punches as flaps at the ball, and uh, and then ends up somehow in front of the ball. Um, and then there's a you know a mass scramble where the uh, it looks easier for Bristol City to score than not to score. Unfortunately, they didn't. Um, they hit the post. Uh, what else happened? Uh, Zizou uh, managed to get completely clear in the box. And to be fair, you know Dawson uh, did really well to put him off. But yeah, it was you know it was kind of a typical Wednesday in defensive mode. You know, containing but but giving the opposition a fair few glimmers of hope. It was surprising to me how narrow we were because we set up in such a wide formation with the wing backs. You know, it was very defensive. It was definitely set up for a counter. You know, and uh, everyone was expecting uh, Penny Palmer to push forward. It was a very unusual, unusual format. And then we played incredibly narrowly. Just seemed to keep playing straight down the middle. You know, Bannon, Anoma just kept trying to kind of force the ball through through the middle, uh, which didn't work very well. And then we went, we ended up going long. It was probably one of the most confusing first halves I've ever I've ever seen us set up with in terms of personnel and then how we actually applied that system. I think part of the issue too was um, that kind of formation requires sort of your outlet target man, and he started with Stephen Fletcher, so that makes sense. But then Fletcher picked up a knock and had to go off in the first twenty minutes or so, and instead of bringing on sort of Addy Newhue as a like for like, he brought on Zhao, who of course was the match winner, but doesn't really fit the way I think they had set out to play. It, I guess when, when Lucas Charles really on form, you know, he can carry the ball and he can stretch defences, but when he's when he's finding his way in games and let's say when he's not on his best form, um, the ball tends to bounce off him quite a lot. So he's, he's, you're absolutely right. He's the opposite um, of a like-for-like replacement for uh, for Stephen Fletcher. Yeah, you know, I, I think I've said it week in, week out. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Fletcher fan, right? I I really think his movement, the way he troubles defences and the way that he, he moves the ball um, is just a, like a level of intelligence above the majority of our strikers. So um, I think we suffered for him going off. Um, 
and let's be honest we you know it took Joao a, a while to get into the game and first off I mean I, I can really only remember one clear-cut chance and that was exactly as you said Paul it was you know it was a long ball down the middle from Bannon beautifully weighted uh which Adam Reach didn't you know didn't quite get on the end of to put away so um we really really didn't get much going going forwards at all as, as far as I could tell first off I've got to be honest though I was kind of I was watching whilst also trying to watch my my kids soccer practice so um you know maybe I was mixing up the two here there seemed to be a pack of people in blue shirts chasing after the ball uh, but that might have been a bunch of four-year-olds it was nice to see Bannon back in the squad though and he did give us a, a nice little Hollywood ball in the first half but overall as you said a dreadful performance but you know rode their luck a little bit I wasn't super impressed with, with Bristol City going forward. I feel like they could have been a little... I mean, outside of sort of the ball falling to you in the box and the point blank saved by Dawson, there wasn't too much to write home about from an excitement standpoint. And then I think when, was it Forestieri came on for Thornley? Was that the adjustment? And it just made everything better because you know Jordan Thornley has been well praised uh, appropriately pra- praised on this podcast for his performance uh, in the back three Paul I don't know if he's a wing back <laughs> no exactly and that's that was a big problem so totally unbalanced I mean I think <laughs> interesting I, I didn't know how fast he actually came off as soon as his number came up he actually sprinted off I was joking on on Twitter saying like he's He's probably in the shower and finished and dressed before uh, before Forestieri had kind of settled into the game. Uh, he just looked like a player that was just out of position. Uh, everywhere he was moving was the wrong direction. But the number of times the ball was kind of past him and behind him, it was just it was just a bit embarrassing. But you know he wasn't supposed to be playing out wide. And I think that pushing Penny forward is a nice idea. But actually, I think you know he he, he comes from a strength position playing at that back back position um, with space in front of him bit of time, bit of space, bit of protection. Um, so I don't think it quite worked. And I think actually taking him off, you know, re- readdressed that balance and helped us in the second half. Um, and I don't think that, um, you know, halftime could have come as quickly as a, you know, as it did. I think second half was a completely different team. And I think, you know, with those adjustments and Bannon seemed to take control, although that isn't actually where the goals came from. I think we, uh, we kind of scored a, a lucky goal to start with. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that uh, Thornley's probably better in a different position. Still still got a lot of faith in him myself. I just think that, uh, you know, Penny's obviously a midfielder by trade, but he's always going to be a little bit lost in a, in a midfield alignment, I think, with, with Bannon and uh, Anoma, who are going to want a large part of the ball and sort of reach that up. And that sort of second striker or, or freelancing position is just he's not going to have the space he has when he just has sort of the left wing to roam back and forth. And, you know, he's still... It's it's a very simple assignment when he's playing left wing back. You know, it's it's run, it's cross, it's break at pace, overlap, get back on defense, cut off crosses. You know, he's still a young player finding his way in a in a difficult league. So I think uh, he could be a good midfielder in time with more experience. But I think for for what we're looking to do this season, just just let Matt Matt, Matt Penny be Matt Penny out on the wing. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's a really simple um, observation which is. It's kind of easier to play when you've got the game in front of you than when you're having to uh, to adjust with the game going on around you, right? And my suspicion with a lot of our younger players is that you know when they can see the way the game is unfolding, they can they can pick the passes, they can pick the space to run into, and you know with Penny's speed particularly, you know he's really been 
making that that left wing uh, space his own over recent weeks. I think just kind of echoing what you're saying, Jeff. If you if you put him in that left midfield position, which tends to get kind of get pulled into a compressed diamond or a diamond that kind of stretches forwards, where particularly when reach and Bannon go, um, I think you know he's he's just kind of he's too much in the fray and not able to exploit those places. So I think experiment conducted, but um, it, the null hypothesis says Matt Penny moves back to left wing back. Uh, maybe John Thornley was just slightly put off by the uh, the right back that was marauding past him uh, from Bristol City. I don't know. Yeah, it's a right back Wednesday could use based on Liam Palmer's performance, but we'll get to that in a minute. But first, we have two Lucas Yao goals to discuss. The first one, uh, again, right down the middle. This one was straight route one. Uh, Was it a foul in the build? Not even the build up. Was it a foul to set up the goal, James? Um. There was contact. You know, I, there was some contact. There was some contact. I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, you know, I've, I've watched it probably twenty times. I don't think at any point I've really kind of sat there and thought, oh, you know, what well, that's that's a that's a bit naughty. I just think he, he you know, he, he physically barrels his way through the defence, and you know, strikers need to be given a little bit of the benefit of the doubt in those situations. You know, if it's if it's a situation where the defender should be putting up some resistance and they fail to do so, well, that's that's their problem. And I thought we we kind of saw in the way that he finished Lucas Rowe, kind of, you know, the, the best side of him, right? You know, where he has got physicality in his game. He's, you know, he's quick with the ball at his feet. He kind of worked it into a shooting position. You know, the, the shot is powerful, but, you know, there's not a lot of backlift. There's not a lot of forewarning of where it's coming from. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Totally fine with it. Um, I, I just wish, I, I wish we could see him kind of in those situations more often, you know, getting in on the shoulder of defenders, kind of pushing his way in, uh, it past them. Um, and he did that well for both goals. Is this the first time he's really played as more of a, of a true number nine? I feel like he's often used out on the wing or, you know, in a sort of three midfield, like sort of like a, uh, four, two, three, one kind of setup. I think this season probably yes. I'm I'm you know, I'm sure someone could point out a game where we've played him as as one of a one of a front two in you know in a more kind of traditional vein. But um, you know I think this season he's primarily been playing kind of just off the the kind of off a lead striker on you know on almost in a wing wing position. Um, and I th- I thought he just looked he looked good in that kind of you know that hunting role. Um, and if he could just be a bit more uh, consistent and, as I said, use a bit more of that physicality and get in the right spaces, I, you know, I really think we've got a play on our hands. We'll come to that in a second. But for both goals, I thought you did really well. I think the the, the one contentious point, which um, I think Lee Johnson, the, uh, the Bristol manager, was on, on about, you know, quite vocal about um, after, after the match, was uh, was accusing Jawa being offside. Um, I, I think from our perspective, it's very difficult because the I follow cameraman was, was like 10 yards behind. The, the ball kind of went up into space before it came down. And I think it bounced, must have bounced twice before Jao hit it. It doesn't actually touch anybody. Um, so I don't know whether, whether Jao was coming back from an offside position as Dawson kind of thumped it forward. But, you know, Johnson's kind of really sort of clear that, it, it, that that was the case. Um, and I've watched it carefully to see if the defender touches it. He doesn't. But I don't think that, that Jao fouls him. I think because of the awkward bounce and the the sort of slowing ball. I think the defender just sort of looking at the ball gets tangled with Jao more than the other way around. Um, and he, you know, and he hits it very, very, uh, very well first time. So, you know, I don't know whether he was supposed to be that far forward. I don't know whether it was, you know, 
supposed to develop the way that Dawson was expecting, or if Dawson was actually looking for anybody rather than just hoofing it. But it, it was a fortuitous moment, I think. It's a goal we, we were happy to take. I think actually that, that you know, we should probably move on to talk about the second goal, but um, that was the first of a kind of a double punch, which I think kind of knocked the wind out of uh, Bristol for all of their efforts at that point. Is that Bristol, uh, Paul, or Bristol City? Bristol. <laughs> the commentators were uh, were insistent on that all the way through, which yeah. uh, I guess would have really irritated it, us if it had been levelled against us. But uh, since it was Bristol, let's not uh, even pay any attention to it. <laughs> I was uh, I was at a, a bar in Queens a few years ago, and thankfully up for a for a New York Owls match or something. This was like the night before and a long drive, and I'd had a few. And I got to talking with the bartender, um, who I think was like Irish. And I mentioned I was in town for to watch a soccer game. He asked who to use support. And I said Sheffield Wednesday. And of course, that always, you know, sort of brings on sort of like the gawking, slack jawed stare. Um, like, really, he supports Sheffield Wednesday. I'm like, yes, yeah. Well, he's like, we have a few lower, uh, lower level supporters around the bar. Um, like, yeah, I forget who the guy's name was, but this guy at the end of the end of the bar supports Bristol Rovers and like for some reason it was the year when uh, the season when Bristol Rovers had just gotten uh, relegated out of the league out of league two into conference but it was also the same year I think Bristol City won either league two or league one I I forget it might have actually been league one because they've been up for a few years now Uh, but in my head like because I'd had a few I just gave him like a like oh hey nice season and like (laughs) raised my glass to him he was not happy so it's very important to keep your Bristol straight. <laughs> Is that you know, a euphemism, Jeff? You have to be careful with that, Jeff. Yeah, I think you, you know what Bristol cities are, don't you, in England, if you're using Cockney rhyming slang. You can't play with your Bristols. To be careful, Jeff. But I do want to talk a little bit about the, the second Jow goal. So I think that's Jow at his best. You know, ball at his feet, kind of weird limbs going in all direction but just creates a little bit of a space and the, sh- the pace on the shot from sort of tight quarters in the distance like the keeper never had a chance no he didn't did he um and it was sort of classically with Joe, you know he gets the ball he's you know he's in acres of space all he has to do is pull the trigger and somehow he ends up with three defenders around him and yet still he manages to to put a shot like that away and you think the chance is gone that's that's the great thing about that goal you know you kind of think oh he showed it up um, and yet he manages to get a really powerful shot away that the keeper, like you said, didn't uh, didn't stand a chance of saving. The absolute key to that ball, though, uh, to that goal, though, to me, is the ball uh, from uh, from Josh Oneman, right? Um, it's just it's just beautiful the way that he kind of just I think he picks it up from Bannon or Reach, you know, and Jao's really kind of he's drifting, but he's not in the game, and and somehow he manages just to take the entire Bristol. City uh, defense out with uh, with one cross field pass. It's um, it's a really really nice setup. But then Jao does just does the word to finish it right. So what do we make of Lucas Jao at this point? He's got five goals from nine appearances, and I think he's only started maybe two or three of these games. Obviously the brace uh, today or sorry last uh, Sunday came as a sub. <sighs> There was some stuff in the press, and I think even quotes sort of coming out from Yas that it's like, this is, we know he is capable of this, but we need to see, like, very publicly saying we need to see more consistency in his performances. I know we've talked in the WhatsApp group sort of about, you know, finding that sort of like, is that 20 goal a season striker something we're, we're still missing? You know, even if Reach 
chips in with 10 goals, Bannon with 10 goals, which might be, you know, shooting fairly high. You know, Fletcher's not ever really been like that that one and two kind of striker. Um, you know, can Zhao be, can he take that sort of next step forward? We've seen it in short bursts, you know, the first part of the season, the the run he had his first year here under Carlos, like the talent's there, he's only like 24. Like, could this be sort of if Wednesday are to make sort of a surprise run into the playoffs, is it going to be on the back of Lucas Zhao? Well, I suppose you could say we are making a surprise run for the playoffs because none of us had us in the top six at the, uh, true. At the second I, international I think we, break. So. Like, we know what we're going to get out of Barry Bannon, Adam Reach, you know, sort of the squad as, as currently comprised. Like, you, there's been some pleasant surprises already. You know, Matt Penny, I think Hector and, and Onoma have been very nice bits of business in the loan market. But Jao's that wild card. Like, if, like, would you be shocked if he's a 20-goal striker at this level? He certainly has the talent to do it. No, he, I mean, he, sh- he should be, shouldn't he? I mean, this is, this is, this is the point with Lucas Rowe. You know, he, he will regularly score a couple of goals a game for us. And when he's on form, defenders find him very, very difficult to handle. When Wednesday can find him in the right areas, he'll get us goals. So, you know, should, is he capable of scoring 20 goals a season? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the, the questions that we often say, kind of, and I don't know, Yoss has made this point, you know, we need more consistency from, from Lucas Schwer. Well, maybe Wednesday need to play with a bit more consistency in terms of who our preferred striking setup is. Because my worry with the constant rotation of the strikers is it becomes very, very difficult for any of those guys to get into the groove to kind of, for the team to start playing to their strengths. And I'm not sure that Wednesday have worked out how to get out the best out of Lucas Schwer so much as Lucas Joao hasn't worked out how to get the best out of himself just yet. Yeah, I think he's he's young, isn't he? But um, I don't know. I think there's um, he's that kind of player that you know he likes the skill, he likes to go past people, and he's got great, great close ball control. Uh, that's what he's great at, you know. Um, so it's not surprising, you know, when he when he takes that ball from Anoma, you know, on Sunday, and um, he he has that. He has that yard and a half. He doesn't need to touch that ball other than hit it. You know, granted it's on his left, but you know that 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 is never on his mind. He wants to go past. He wants to bring it in. Goes past one. Look up, and usually that's when he, like you were saying, James, it's usually like lost, dispossessed. He falls over. He gets tangled up. Loses the ball. And he's so tall. You know, I know this as being tall that you kind of just look a bit wrong as well in those moments. I think that doesn't help him. You know, physically, he's a tall, gangly guy uh, who likes to, to... He's a bit like Big Dave in many ways, isn't he? He's sort of a little bit more um, instinctual with his with his shooting. Slightly but, more pace. Right, a little bit more pace as well. But I've not really seen much of that pace for a little while because he seems to take the ball at his feet and sort of dance with it a little bit and, and take a shot. So I don't know whether he's got... I mean, you think about the difference between him and like Fessy, who's just like a tenacious little Rottweiler who wants to win and wants to shoot and... You know, I just think he's, that's the lethargy that we describe in Zhao, you know. Maybe it's going to come in time, but maybe not, you know. Uh, maybe this is Zhao. But let's not forget, you know, he's he's our high scorer this season. He's got five goals. So he's actually on track for a 20-goal season. So, you know, if he's going to be lethargic, take his goals like this um, and get 20, then I'll take it. I'm sure Wednesday would take it as well. We're cruising to a 2-0 victory, you know. Protected the lead better, I thought. More organized at the back, especially with sort of the you know, standard back three and, and Palmer and 
Penny pinching in. Looked to be a little bit more comfortable in the West Brom game. And then ball goes to the left side, Wednesday's right flank. Liam Palmer makes a bit of a hash of it, ball into the box. And, you know, fair enough, uh, you know, cast iron penalty. You know, Anoma tries to win the ball clumsily, bowls over the Bristol City player, and they slot it away, and we get our nice, tense last 10 minutes, James. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's Wednesday. What else yeah, do you expect? Never um, I mean, that's that's the stock response, right? I, I, I mean, let, let's celebrate the positive for a second. You're right. It was a once we got the first kind of twenty minutes of um, usual kind of kamikaze defending out of the way, it was a much more controlled, much more composed performance at the back than we've we've seen. Um, certainly, uh, thinking back to the last ten minutes of the West Brom game. Before that, they were pretty good as well. In all fairness, but uh, you know, Michael Hector is making a real difference here, right? He's he to me, he's really stabilised that back three, and he's you know he's leading the back line, and and as we've said many times, sparing Tom Lees to be Tom Lees, which is actually a pretty good championship defender when he's not having to think about other people. Um, so it was a shame that we didn't get the clean sheet. I mean, it, it's kind of it's becoming this thing now, isn't it? You know, when are Wednesday going to keep a clean sheet? When will Cameron Dawson finally get some praise for being a decent goalkeeper? Um, and it was a shame that we didn't see that out on Sunday. But you can't argue with the penalty. It's a you said clumsy. I mean, it's 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 just a a silly challenge actually from Anoma, um, which is a shame because he'd had a really really good game. Uh, certainly, I think he's probably his best game for Wednesday so far. Um, but. You know, then you get the goal going in, and and then somehow the referee manages to find what like seven, eight minutes of injury time. Um, it's an astonishing amount of time at the end of the second half. So, you know, really talked about the, the referee's stuff. performance, and I don't like to complain about officiating, but it was just shockingly bad. Yeah, you seem to find five yellow cards for our boys, uh, one for them, and like you say, seven minutes added on, eight minutes actually. By the time he actually blew up, it was. Uh, there was something to uh, behold. And even at the end of the game, then uh, Johnson's uh, complaining that uh, he was biased against them. <laughs> I don't think either team uh, thought he was uh, a great referee. But fair play to Wednesday. They, they, after conceding, saw it out very professionally. You know, kept the ball in the corner, won a series of, of corners and throw-ins, got the win, and they're in sixth place going into the second international break just like we all expected. Yeah, yeah. It's the champion. It's the beauty of the champion. They're also probably like, I think, three points ahead of like 16th or something because that's the way the league's gone this year. But is this potentially, not even really a quarter of the way into the season yet, but is this potentially a playoff team? Either of you can jump in. Yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about that exact question all season, quietly, and not not on the podcast. And um, you know, in this age of supercomputers, I thought I could, I should run some statistics. So I, uh, I did so. This is kind of quite interesting. This is my answer to that question. Are are we, um, you know, are we, are we a challenger team? I, I don't think we are. And this is why. So I, I, I ran the supercomputer. This is uh, the supercomputer firing off. Um, here's some statistics. Um, the 46... kettle going off. <laughs> it's the supercomputer, Jeff. The supercomputer. Can I hear it? 
Um, we, we have got had 46% average possession per game, which isn't so bad. Right. We've had nine shots on target average. You think okay? Deal with that. This is where it gets bad. 16 average shots on on target for our opponents against us. That's a, a minimum of 12 shots on target every game we're allowing, which is an average of minus six in terms of shot difference. Uh, us versus them. And there's only two games this season where we've actually been dominant in possession and shots, and that was um, unsurprisingly Millwall, which was a win, and Ipswich was a win. So of all of our games so far, I would say statistically, and I know that football is not a game of statistics, that the supercomputer I'm running says that, no, we're really not. We're actually riding our luck, and uh, it, I'm really worried that we're going to get found out eventually. Blimey. Um Jeff, I don't have a uh, I don't have a soundtrack for my response. Sorry, I'm gonna have Does to wait until it... this uh, MDMA wears off. That I uh... <laughs> exactly that that was that, that was like stat attack, wasn't it? it was like um, some, that was like something out of the 1980s children's television broadcasting or, or something along those lines. Were you wearing James. Were you wearing a white coat while you did that segment, there, Paul? Yeah, I have. I've shaved my head. I was wearing glasses. Very, very, very good. Actually, I'd rather you had some light hair coming out of your nose or something in, in a true sort of mad scientist fashion. Um, here, here's where the numbers may be wrong, though. So, you know, I, so we, I, I, I applaud the uh, attention to statistical detail that you've just shared with us. And, and it's true, right? You know, Wednesday, I think, have one of the worst, not necessarily defensive records in terms of goals conceded, but certainly the worst record in terms of goal potential allowed um, in, in the championship this season. And we've all bemoaned it, right? You know, just our inability to keep a clean sheet, the um, the kind of the crazy kamikaze defending that yields ridiculous chances for def- for oppositions that don't really deserve them. Quote, unquote, the first 20 minutes against Bristol City, the last 10 minutes against West Brom. Um, the only reason I'm, I'm going to sound a note of optimism is I, I think we're getting better, slowly, but I, I kind of wager that by the time we get to Christmas, we're going to have a tighter defence and a more organised defensive unit than we've seen in, in these first few games of the season. And I think that that is just part of the learning process of, of Jos getting this squad to play the way he wants to, players getting familiar with themselves and, frankly, getting some better defenders into the mix, you know, Michael Hector being uh, one of the examples. So I, I can see that improving. And I also think, you know, going forward, Wednesday, Wednesday have got an embarrassment of riches if we can work out the right way to play them, which comes back to my point about Lucas Schwer, which is if we decide on who our preferred forwards are, yeah, I think we can start getting some really exciting um, uh, opportunities to them, and and they are players of the caliber that can can score a lot of goals for Wednesday. And I'd love to see Lucas Schwer go on a run. I'd like to see Fernando Forestieri get back in amongst the goals. You know, Adam Reach is is definitely contributing uh, with everything he's doing from outside the box. Bannon's scoring goals from outside the box as well, um, and we've got this guy Sam Winnell coming back. So, you know, things could turn. Um, I'm stroking a remarkable note of optimism and I'm, I'm finding myself surprised to be saying it because I still think instinctively we're a mid-table team. But, you know, why not? It's the international break. Let's let's dream a little bit, shall we? All I will say is that the league is definitely in a false position at the moment because while we may finish in the top six, there's a team at the top that definitely won't. Yeah, I think there's just a one of those seasons where there's really no strong championship teams. There's the potential for good teams to emerge in the in the coming months, there's a lot of talent on some of these uh, teams currently ahead of Wednesday in the table. Um, I mean, one in particular doesn't have more talent, but I'm sure we'll get to them in a month or so. But it doesn't feel like there is a Wolves this year or um, 
or a Leicester of a few seasons ago. It just feels like there's, you know, 11 or 12 mid-table squads in a middle of the table that's eight or, yeah, essentially like eight teams. So one of those teams is going to, perhaps more, are going to sneak into a playoff space. And they have been pressing their luck so far, but they've gotten 19 points from 12 games, which is a 73-point pace, which isn't really a playoff spot in most seasons, but it's in in the vicinity. And, you know, 18 from their last 10, if you want to, you know, parse it out even further. And that includes a very tough run of games that they're in the midst of right now. So they have to get better from here, but I think we've seen glimpses that it's possible. This is remarkably optimistic. It is, I think. Um, I mean, I do share your optimism. I mean, I'm not one for stats. I just thought it would be interesting to ru- run a few numbers. But um, I mean, just to respond to what James said, you know, statistically, it's not it's not actually improved. It's getting worse because all of our possession and all of our chances, um, we're, we're a lot more competitive in the first half of the games we've played so far. It's actually been dropping off quite drastically, you know, in terms of possession and, the, the, you know, for example, like minus 15 goal difference in terms of shots against Leeds. 40% possession against uh, West Brom. But um, I, I just see this is the kind of the new normal in the championship where you have a, it's almost like two two seasons. You get the you know, pre-Christmas and then you get the post-Christmas. And I think, you know, like Fulham proved, you know, they were awful first half. And then the second half of the season, they kind of came from nowhere. You know, and you've got the kind of, the, you've got the, uh, the, the parachute payment players and then you've got the mid-table big spenders with new owners is this sort of new, the new normal, the new dynamic of the championship, isn't it? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe when we've been sort of bemoaning our slow starts, you know, it doesn't really matter because actually the championship's a changing, kind of evolving kind of season where it, it's really about that kind of final running, you know, giving yourself enough points to make a push later on. Uh, and I, I don't see any reason why we can't, you know. I'm still so interested in how we're going to play the, the window in January. Uh, but, you know... I think back to the original question, right where we are now, sixth place. I'm so confused with the season, but if that, if if that's a sixth sixth place uh, performance, then again, you know, I think I think we should be very 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 pleased. I mean, that's essentially what Wednesday did under Carlos when they made the playoffs. Is they hung around and found form late in the season, and you know, the first season snuck in and. In a way, you know, the second season obviously were a bit of a more known quantity, but had to do had to do work in those la- in that run in, you know, the last dozen fixtures or so to to get into the playoffs. And like all you can really hope for, and is to sort of put yourself in that position again come February or March. Absolutely, you know, I I um I come on this version of the podcast just to to have a, a more relaxed discussion about Wednesday. Paul's kind of put me back in FFP mode now. I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm having my uh, my opinions countered with statistical veracity, uh, and uh, and he's starting to talk about what we're going to do in the transfer window. So uh, I'll have to I'll have to book my ideas up a bit. Look, six, yeah, six months after I've been away for six months. You know, know, I've, you've, I've, you've, do you think I've been doing? You've I've brought been brought the, I've been brought the table, haven't you? Yeah, I, it's I, been writing, he's been writing EDM music. Music, apparently I've been doing a lot of drugs I've been doing statistics you know I have not even hit a swan it sounds like you've been months. at school to be perfectly honest um look here's the bottom line right Wednesday are not as bad as we probably all think they are 
um, i.e. they're probably a little bit better than just an average run-of-the-table mid-table team. Um, They're probably not as good as their current league position would suggest. In other words, there's probably some underperformers who are going to rise a little bit in in this league as we get into the later parts of the championship. So it's all about how this squad fuses. It's all about how this set of players sets about their task. And it probably is, you know, to a high degree about where we are in January and therefore the decisions that we have to make um, as regards the players that we retain um, and any risk that we take on or that we're able to take on uh, in terms of expenditure. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it, right? Um, If we're competitive and we can hold that competitive edge through the rest of 2018, then who knows what could happen? Uh, Maybe we'll all be going to Wembley. James, are you suggesting that Wednesday fans tend to be pessimistic? Yeah, I, I think for very good reason, and that's definitely statistically verified. For now, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will run down the Wednesday news heading into the international break. back to cover some Wednesday news heading into the international break and the big news of the week is that Sam Winnell is reportedly fit and may feature for the under 23s over the break is this just uh, get him fit and get him in the shop window for January does he actually have a role uh, in this squad given that Yas likes to rotate his strikers yeah I think you know I'm excited uh, I think I'm one of the one of those that uh, it was a long time ago now it feels but I was surprised when uh, when he went that night, um, so I, I know I I know that it's been a bit strange. He said a few things and sort of almost seemed to be kind of passionately committing his future, um, his life and soul to Derby. But he's back, he's ours, and um, I'll take him. You know, he's a he's a good goal scorer, poacher. When we took him from Barnsley, I was very excited. So, you know, I I think it's, it's twofold, isn't it? One, let's get him on the pitch, let's get him playing, see what he can bring. And uh, two, sure, if we have to start selling these players, um, you know, he's definitely got to have a price tag, hasn't he? Surely. I mean, it all depends if he's if he's fit and, and scoring goals is what it comes down to. If you're when you're paying for a you know a championship level striker in the in the January window, you've you know at least got to have like a Gary Medine scoring record, I think. Yeah, I I don't think we're going to be selling Sam Winnell for big money in January. Not, not unless he comes back all guns blazing and uh, and really kind of rips the uh, the league apart in the uh, in the last vestiges of the year. Um, yeah, I think it's all about rehabilitating Winall and and him being a saleable asset in the summer if uh, if things don't work out, or us having a great player on our hands for for next season. I mean, look, we we all know he can do it. Um, you know, he's a nuisance. He's he, he's kind of he's the archetypal kind of um, prancing English striker, isn't he? You know, bit of a prima donna, but in a sort of just a bit of an arsey sort of way, but but also with some of the skills to to back it up. And, and much he, like Gary Medine, except for m- the skills well, part. Yeah, I was going to say without the uh, the violent nightclub behaviour, but you know maybe uh, maybe that's not entirely uh, fair to uh, to spare Sam Winnell from um, at least training pitch behaviour. But look, I mean, he's he's feisty. You know, he's he's got points to prove. You know, he. He's apologised in a way to Wednesday nights for kind of the way he went off flirtatiously uh, leaping into Derby's um, warm embrace. Um, so let's see what he can do to, to prove his worth to us when he comes back. You know, it's in his interest to do well for Wednesday. 
you know, whether he wants to stay long term or not, it's in his interest to prove that he's got it at the championship level and that he to put himself in the shop window if that's what he's ultimately looking to do. So I don't think Wednesday can really lose, to be perfectly honest. Either it works and he uh you know, he, he delivers for Wednesday in the in the next few months, or um we kind of you know, we stick with what we've got and as we said earlier on, we've got a pretty good lineup of strikers and ultimately we didn't pay that much for a winner. We paid what, five five hundred thousand for him. So let's let's hope it all comes good, but um, it, it's on him. I want to see what he what he can deliver when he gets back to fitness, and and it'll take a few weeks. You know, he'll I think Yoss will play him a few games in the twenty threes before he makes the bench. I wouldn't expect to see him starting first couple of games back after the international break, but he's a useful asset to have back in the squad. And as soon as he scores a goal for Wednesday, he'll have more goals for Wednesday in twenty eighteen than Jerry Medine has for Cardiff. There's some more stats for you. Some more stats. That's very impressive. I was just thinking, actually, what you know, that sort of cocky swagger that Winnell's got is what Jow needs, isn't it? It's that missing ingredient from Jow, you know, just that little bit of ego and uh, insecurity that's going to kind of push him forward and be a bit more of a poacher, so he can spread his arms wide and run at the stand and lap it up, you know. I think uh, I think Winnell will do all right once he gets on the pitch. I'm looking forward to him. We've got some awards to go over in a shocking turn of events. Adam Reach won EFL Goal of the Month. Well, did he? I thought he won Player of the Month. No, uh, did he win Player of the Month? Yeah, I just saw him holding a trophy. Well, he should have won Goal of the Month too. I think he won Goal. Of, I think he won Player of the Month because he won Goal of the Month twice. Yeah. Um, well, actually, <laughs> technically speaking, that's not entirely fair because his second Wonder Goal against West Brom fell in October, so he'll yeah. win. Yes. probably win Goal of the Month twice. Uh, just in different months, but no, I think his uh, I think his goal scoring feats and all round contribution in uh, September got him the uh, the PFA flat fans player of the month, which is uh, which is tremendous, and he he got about thirty six percent of the vote, I think, which basically means that Wednesday nights do what Wednesday nights do best, which is phone and vote online to uh, to get our players to win awards. Yeah, have we ever yeah. lost one of those? <laughs> have we ever had a player in the top six and not won it we, we did didn't we like there was a bit of a thing going on yeah he didn't even win wednesday player of the month though <laughs> to be fair matt, matt penny i think when we talked about this last week was more than deserving you know as a wednesday player and if you watch wednesday you know the yeah. players in, in our squad you know he's he's come through and had an amazing uh start to his wednesday career thoroughly deserved but you know adam adam reach has kind of hit the headlines if you will with those goals and, and reminded people of the caliber and the class that he's got and I would argue he's had a better second half of September than the beginning of September. I thought he was a little bit anonymous um, in the early part of the season. Um, but he's come to the fore again. And um, and it, it comes back to this wider point. We've got some really talented players in our squad. If we get the best out of all of them, we probably should be around the playoffs. So um, nice little uh, feather in his cap anyway. And as we do head to the international break, we have a paucity of Wednesday matches to preview. We do have one international call-up as Addy Nuhiu is in the squad for Kosovo's Nation League matches against Malta and the Faroe Islands. Uh, can you preview the Malta and Faroe Islands for our listeners, James? Uh, I can tell you that Malta is a place. It's in the Mediterranean. I have never been there. Uh, my mother listens to this podcast and she likes going to Malta, so... Uh, uh, she she gives it a rave review. Uh, I believe there are some Maltese owls in uh, in Malta. Um, I think the Knights of St John emanated from Malta, but I know I know precious little else about it. It's a rock in the Mediterranean. Um, the Faroe Islands are also islands, um, not in the Mediterranean. I believe they're somewhere in the North Atlantic. It is uh, right again, there in the name. Yeah, there you go. 
So, uh, no, Jeff, in, in short, I can't tell you anything about either of them. God knows why they're playing international football. Um, so um, I guess that's the benefit of this crazy uh, European League malarkey that means that Kosovo get to go and play in small places and uh, we talk about them on podcasts. I actually have to step in and uh, just uh, correct you there, Jeff, actually, because we've actually got three international players playing. Any guesses? Who else? You've missed two. Yes, Big Dave's playing. Are there, uh, islands, but, I think for like the under twenty ones or whatever. Yeah, we got one 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 player playing for Wales. Ash Baker got called up for, again. Yes, he did. And we've got uh, Josh and Oma playing for the under twenty threes. It's more difficult for me to look up on Wikipedia before the show. So he's actually and Oma's playing in Chesterfield. They're playing Andorra in Chesterfield. How about that? I've never seen Glamour Andorra, tie. comma Chesterfield written ever anywhere <laughs> in my life. How about that? Andorra, comma, Chesterfield. You'll never see it again. Make the it's most good, isn't it? And then, and then uh, he's, they're away in Scotland. And then Baker's playing um, Romania and Switzerland. But, I mean, is that a problem? Because then it's only a couple of days before Middlesbrough. So we've got Josh and Omer, Baker and Big Dave not necessarily match ready for, for Middlesbrough. I think it only really matters with the Nomad. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of Baker, but you know, right now I, I think he's probably in the number two slot for our right wing back. I think Liam Palmer is doing enough to hold that position down, at least when he keeps the ball in play. Um, right. And um, you know, with all due respect to Big Dave, I don't think he's a starting striker for Wednesday this season. So, uh, so I'm okay with them playing in Chesterfield and Bulgaria or wherever it is. Um, Anoma, I've got slightly more worries about. You know, I think he's, I think he and Hector have, have really added something to this side. So, uh, so I hope that England look after him in their uh, their Andorran friendly or whatever it is they're doing. The one. Uh... I, hope a bit, I hope there's a big crowd going. There's a lot of Wednesday fans travelling across to Chesterfield to shout him. Shout him on. It'd be quite funny. Under 23s, England under 23s playing Andorra and Chesterfield. I'd go if I was there. Will they draw a uh, Will they draw a bigger crowd for uh, non-league week than? Hallam. I tell you what, if Wednesday fans showed up just for Josh, they'd take more more crowd for one player than Chesterfield can muster all season. The one obvious snub for me is uh, once again Matt Penny not being selected for the England squad. The upside being that no one notices that he's really damn good, and that gives us time to get a contract in front of him and force him to sign it. That should be the the top priority for Wednesday over the international break. It really should be, it shouldn't it? Like I mean, the right you know, timing for it. It's a slow news week. Is it appropriate to force a young man to sign a contract uh, committing himself to your football club? I don't see a problem with it. For any... Uh, depends if his, it depends if his dad's... MI, MI6 agents that may be listening in. James was joking. <laughs> He's not going to kidnap Matt Penny and uh, force him to sign a four-year contract I didn't contract say anything about Wednesday. kidnapping him. I, I just said that we were just going to forge a signature and, yeah, uh, yeah. and announce it and kind of guilt him into uh, committing his future to Sheffield Wednesday. Perfectly reasonable. I'm not hearing a lot of support for this mm. theory. Let's just hope he, uh, he has the, uh, the right mindset. Yes. Yeah. We will be coming back from the international break with matches against Middlesbrough on Friday and a midweek clash with QPR. Middlesbrough, sort of the last of this run of tough uh, top-of-the-table tangles, and then QPR, which, you know, it's QPR. So if they come out of this in good shape, what a, you know, it starts getting real at that point, doesn't it? The 
fixtures get a little bit easier. Not that there's any easy matches in the championship, but you know this this run from really uh, going back to I think she's going all the way back to Forest at this point. You know, sort of run of teams that are level on points with Wednesday or thereabouts or ahead of them in the table and. You know, you start getting the the Boltons and the QPRs back in the mix now. This would be a good time for the uh, squad to gel coming out of the break, I think. Mm. I think you're right. I think this, I mean the fixtures aren't they don't get too easy over the next next few weeks. I think there's a couple of easier ones like you know, well not easier but you know you got like you say you've got uh, mid table teams like QPR Birmingham after Middlesbrough but then you know Norwich you not know, doing all right I suppose then we've got the Derby. And then we've got Derby. Uh, after that, yeah, you know, Bolton, Blackburn, Rotherham. There's a little patch there. I think, I, hopefully, we could be put a good run in for through December. December's one to look out for. I think there's some sort of potential pitfalls through November. Um, but yeah, you know, I think we could we could find ourselves in a very similar position um, come Christmas. Definitely. I like the fact that Paul's still listening to his stats-inspired music. Every time we go to Paul, we, we're sort of getting this kind of... It's almost like listening to Super Mario Kart or something in the background. Um, I haven't got it on. Can you hear just, it? Are you just playing Super Mario Kart? Yeah, this is it. He's, he's, got, his, um, he's got his N64 or something going on there. Um, can, you hear, can you hear something now? I can't hear anything. Oh, there it is. Well, this will be an interesting very listen fade, for everybody yeah, who's, who's sticking to, with the podcast at this yeah. point in the process. Um, but yeah, look, there's no easy games in the championship. Jeff, you've called it, right? I mean, it, this. I think what we're saying is this This year the league is more homogenous than most, right? There are a lot of decent teams. There's not really any obvious standout team I yet. Rotherham's still terrible, as far as I can tell. Well, but even Rotherham, who are terrible, pull out the odd result, and they have a particular habit of doing that against Wednesday. So we've just got to accept that this is a slog, right? It's 46 games. You've got to basically be up for a scrap in every single one of them. There are going to be some games that feel like they should be big, kind of big ticket affairs, but maybe don't quite work out that way. There's going to be some games where Bolton are going to come and really annoy us at Hillsborough. So I think we've just got to prepare ourselves for the fact that every game is going to be hard, and Wednesday are going to have to, to put their all into it. And we. We will know by Christmas whether we're in with a fighting shot. Um, and I would actually prefer that we don't think of easy or hard runs, but we just focus on getting this team playing the best football it can um, and trying to get the best out of this squad of players. I think if we do that, we should be there or thereabouts. We do have a dispatch from American Soccer this week as well. There are rumors that the MLS and the Liga MX, the Mexican first tier, are considering merging into some sort of super... North and Central American giant league. Um, so we'll go to our uh, expert MLS correspondent, Paul Owen, for his thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of um, kind of crazy headlines coming out with with, with leader league MX. But we understand it from a business perspective. MLS incredibly should we say many shared interests uh, through media rights deals, uh, the Mexican national team, the leagues, the league itself. Uh, without getting into details here, it's a, it's a, it's a web 
business connections. And Is the USSF hacking stuff. your feed right so now? I, I know. I have to be very careful what I say. But um, it, it, so, you know, you have to understand that first. So, you know, first of all, uh, Liga MX was saying that they were actually interested in, in, in taking out promotion and relegation and having a fixed competition, which MLS was full, fully supportive of. That was the first headline. I don't think that went down very well. Uh, and, and then there was now there's this new conversation about um, you know uh, maybe joining together and you know obviously the first question is well you know Liga MX is, is a promote, promotion relegation structure uh, an open pyramid um, MLS isn't does that mean that the two are going to kind of you know pollute the waters together so would we end up with a you know a, a top league of a mixture of Mexican and US teams or you know I, who knows how that would actually play out I mean my sense is that there's a number of kind of ideas that are being externally reported you know, on just to see what people say what people think uh, there's definitely for the, for the people I know in the game here and uh, you know the kind of country and the community that promotion of relegation is now being discussed a lot more seriously um, certainly with the emergence of other leagues in the US and I think that as MLS tries to maintain its kind of value proposition for its investors uh, it doesn't surprise me that they're turning to somebody like you know Liga MX and, and probably in turn with Canada you know when that emerges uh, a little bit more um, solidly soon uh, to, to try and maintain a kind of a, a sense of leadership in this country. So, you know, what, watch this space. Who knows? I mean, quite frankly, it's it's as kind of crazy and tumultuous as the the government here. You know, every day you wake up and there's a different kind of idea floating around. So, uh, I, you know, who knows? You know? If I understand correctly, Paul, what you're saying is that basically the MLS is is trying to uh, create a, a a really great deal, somewhat that looks a little bit like NAFTA, right? What's NAFTA? What's NAFTA? Oh dear me! You, uh, you you quote politics and then you don't know about the North America Free Trade Agreement. As oh, we sorry. have a couple yeah. of South Yorkshireites <laughs> discussing American economic policy on a soccer podcast. Dear me! Thinking, I mean, it, do you know what I was thinking? The Make America More uh, Free Trading with uh, the two partners in the same trade agreement act. I was thinking of a lower league American league. I was thinking, does, does he mean the the, the, the NASL? Does he, no. Sorry. The, the NAFTA, I was thinking, that's not a lower division league. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there we are. This is an episode 42 of the Owls AmeriCast, Sheffield Wednesday Opinion with an American accent. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumper are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, I have to add something this week. Oh, Spotify now, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. And wherever you choose to consume the Owls AmeriCast, we ask you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our Days and Mumbled line at 1-401-307-1867. International rates do apply. You can dial it for free using Google Voice. Paul is on Twitter at the Wednesday. Paul, what will you be doing for your international break weekend besides brushing up on the last twenty-five years of American uh, local economic policy? Yeah. Are we finished there? No, I thought I thought we were still going. I was just getting into that discussion. <laughs> um, 
I think, uh, what's happening this weekend? Oh, my sister's in town. She's flying in. So I got to entertain my sister in uh, Brooklyn Ways. So she wants to go to Bushwick in Williamsburg with all the uh, hipsters and wonkies. So that's what I'll be doing. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, can we get uh, can we get Peter and other James to do a special uh, NAFTA explainer podcast for Paul? I, I I'll I'll get on the bat phone and see if we can arrange something for next week. Yeah, we can uh, we can do an hour and a half uh, explaining to Wednesday nights the uh, the merits of various forms of international trade agreements, and we'll uh, we'll break down the uh, the lack of options facing Britain in a Brexit uh, future. Uh, if if that would be of any use to anybody, and uh, I'll look out for the complete lack of Twitter replies to that. Offer. <laughs> Somehow it's still Bre- do Brexit. like four thousand downloads on SoundCloud like those do. It's Brexit. It's our low, lower division football league as well. The Brexit. It, it, it's it's non league weekend, so yeah, go and support your uh, your local non league country. Um, <laughs> they'll uh, they'll hopefully have some uh, some long queues at the border to get in, but uh, but when you get there, you'll find that there's nothing behind the bar, but there will be an average uh, product being made uh, in a slightly wonky fashion on an uneven pitch. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. I understood none of that. Well, like fifteen percent, and we'll see you back here next week.